and welcome to FiverrCast, the official Fiverr podcast for sellers by sellers. I am Ryan, aka Custom Drum Loops. And I'm Adam, also known as Twisted Web 123 Today we're joined by Ace Coolwood from Painless1099. Welcome to the show, Ace. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. We are super excited to have you here because we are going to be tackling a topic today that we've wanted to talk about for ages related to finances and tax and how to manage them as a freelancer. So to get started, Ace, why don't you tell us a little bit about Painless 1099 and what it is you do and what kind of stuff you're involved with in relation to the topic? Sure, sure. So uh, Painless 1099 is a fintech company. We're uh, based in New York here in the States. Um, and we handle taxes for independent contractors or freelancers. Um, so anybody earning income for themselves. Uh, and then kind of our name is, is stemmed from the U.S. tax code. So 1099 is kind of the tax code for freelancers, uh, hence the name Painless 1099 and making that experience as seamless as possible. Um, the the kind of core of our product is that uh, we understand that individuals earning money on their own need to be separating money for the tax man. Um, and that is one of the hardest things to do, especially when you're juggling all of the other things that go into freelancing uh, and doing the thing that you're really good at. So we've actually created a smart bank account. It's a bank account with our algorithm attached that takes tax status into consideration. And then upon earning income from various clients, uh, we separate money based on tax status, and we pass the spendable funds that you don't have to worry about paying taxes on uh, to your personal checking account. So it's an automated process for staying out of tax trouble and not getting blindsided by a bill at the end of the year. You know, Ace, I think the big thing that you touched on is the fact that you're taking the funds out automatically so freelancers don't have to pay attention to that. And I think a lot of freelancers go from nine to five jobs where all that is done automatically. So they don't necessarily think about the fact that they have to pay attention to what they should be saving to pay the tax man. So the fact that you do that for them is fantastic. As you said, freelancers have so much to do with building their business. How much should you save for taxes on general when you're looking at it from an overview point before they sign up with you? Yeah, yeah. So kind of the rule of thumb, um, at least here in the States, and uh, it varies throughout the globe. Uh, you know, it's it's probably helpful to talk about uh, United States tax code because it is so convoluted. But um, this is really applicable for anybody across the world. Uh, so here domestically, it's about 30 percent. So that is twofold. One, you're paying on income taxes. But on top of that, you pay self-employment taxes. Um, so in a quote unquote real job where you have a W-2 employer, um, you end up paying income taxes and then they match a portion of that. Uh, it roughly comes out to about 15%. So when you are self-employed, you are essentially paying your income tax and then paying on behalf of yourself being your employer as well. So 30% is a solid rule of thumb, depending on exemptions and deductions and your tax status. That can creep up to 40, almost 45% in some instances. I think it's always worth knowing what your taxable percentage is whenever you're looking to become self-employed or become a freelancer, or even if you're being a freelancer now, because I remember my first year as a freelancer. And obviously, when you're in a normal job, you receive your paycheck and you've already paid taxes. All of that money on your paycheck is spendable. But when you're a freelancer, and let's say, you know, you receive a thousand dollars. If you kind of forget to put away the certain percentage that you're meant to, when it comes around to paying tax and you've been spending that money, you kind of look back and think, 
I needed to put quite a lot of money aside and I've actually gone ahead and spent it all because, you know, people assume that when you're a freelancer that you know everything that else that comes with it, the business side and everything else. But that's that's kind of what you learn going along. And for me, I learned it the hard way from a, a first year where I didn't research the tax properly. So for the kind of people who are new to freelancing and kind of worried about how to make that transition or they're kind of thinking to themselves, well, I've had a good month this month and a bad month, you know, the next month. Do you kind of recommend that they always put a flat percentage away each month and kind of keep a, a stock or an overflow of funds? Or do you kind of recommend that you do it as and when required? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I always recommend that everybody talk to their friendly neighborhood CPA um, is, is my first recommendation. Uh, because based on the way you run your business, you should always think about things uh, very specifically. Right. So there are some rules of thumbs and blanket kind of um, operations that make sense. And yes, as you earn, setting aside a percentage of, of that income is really important. But I think it probably helps for this conversation to back up a tiny bit to um, just finances in general and then savings specifically. Um, so there's kind of this misconception, I think, that individuals who don't know how to handle their taxes or don't save well. Um, are somehow bad and people who do have savings are somehow good. Um, I, I, that is, like I said, a misconception. And I think um, we do ourselves a disservice as we um, think that way and talk about savings as good and bad. I think the reality is uh, just about 70% of individuals just in Western civilization as a whole uh, can cover a minor emergency, right? So uh, here in the States, that's 68 or 69% have 500 to $1,000 on hand to spend on an unexpected emergency without selling an asset. Um, so that, that really puts into perspective that like there are so many people out there who have not put appropriate funds aside. And then beyond that, what we know just from a kind of psychology of savings perspective is that only 15 to 20% of people have the capacity, like we are wired a certain way, only a handful of us have the capacity to set money aside and not touch it. And so there are kind of two big pieces there. And then if you look at a third stat, um, as the tax slash numbers guy, I get to throw out a lot of stats. And that's uh, the beauty of my job. Something like two thirds of individuals who are self-employed have no idea what their tax obligation is or how to get money from point A to point IRS here um, or appropriate tax bodies across the globe. So when you kind of look at all three of those, capacity to save, lack of savings, and then kind of understanding or ignorance, not in a derogatory term, just by definition, ignorance when it comes to taxes, there's like this huge issue that, you know, my guys and I and a couple other really cool players have set out to solve. Um, but I think putting it in perspective and kind of setting the tone for how many people actually don't know what's going on and then how we can solve the problem a little better. Um, I think that helps start the conversation on a baseline um, and understand where everybody is. It's not just you're an anomaly uh, and feel like you're doing something that everybody else has handled. You know, Ace, I think that those are big numbers. So that's going to resonate with a lot of people. If you were to give advice to somebody who is just starting out and they say, wow, that's me. What's the starting point to take the steps to start building those savings and start implementing processes that will help them maybe change from how they are now to where they should be tracking their numbers? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, uh, that's a great question. I think process is 
is something I talk about a lot. Um, and it, that piece in and of itself can be overwhelming. There are so many tools out there. There are uh, just a ton of platforms and softwares that one can use, um, mine being included, uh, that, that it gets kind of convoluted in which ones make most sense. So what I generally recommend is going to blogs to, to find out what you should be thinking about or some trusted platforms. Freelancers Union is one that comes to mind. Um, they have some awesome content out there. Fiverr, as one would imagine, is, uh, is one of my favorite references for freelancers. But it, you know, it starts with understanding what the problem could be before you start understanding how to fix it. Um, and then you get into some of the, the processes and solutions. And that, again, kind of comes down to a case-by basis. But I think you can bucket kind of types of people. There are people who are going to be meticulous and diligent about keeping up with their finances and expenses and taxes. And then there are going to be other people like me, um, I'll be the first to admit, uh, who should probably either automate those processes. Uh, so they're just kind of moving in the background or pay somebody to handle those for you. Um, I don't think any of those are bad, but I think understanding what type of person you are once you understand what your obligation is uh, and then finding the appropriate products or softwares or services to plug in is really important. See, the biggest issue that I used to have when it came to managing money was I used to put everything inside to uh, kind of like one account. So all my bills, all my personal spending, all my kind of savings, everything else would come out of one account. And the biggest issue that I would have there is if I was out the house and I was going to go spend or I was going to go buy something, I'd be looking at a false balance because I'd look at that balance and think, yeah, I can afford that. But then I had to factor in that all of my household bills kind of came out of this account as well. So what I actually done in, in my scenario to try and keep on top of my personal spending, putting money aside and taxes as well. And this may sound kind of convoluted, but I actually I have four different um, bank accounts. I have one which is just for spending money, which is a normal, just general current account with no overdraft, nothing else added onto it, just for spending money. I have one which has all of my bills coming out of it by direct debit and is a premium account that's linked into if you pay in a certain amount a month, we'll give you all these bonuses, blah, blah, blah. And because all most of my money goes in there for bills, I get those bonuses. I then have a high interest savings account. And then I have a separate account, which I just put into whatever percentage to make sure that I cover my tax. So then that way it helps me track and monitor my money because when it comes to paying myself, I say, right, I put this amount into spending money. This goes into bills and I know I'm covered for the month there. This goes into savings so I can put a bit aside and then I put the rest or whatever's appropriate into the tax as well. And for me, that was the biggest help in regards to kind of starting up and making sure that I had that coverage because the biggest issue that I faced, as I say, is when you kind of work off or when I was working off one bank account, it's a missed number. It's an inflated number because you may look at it and think to yourself, wow, let's say there's $3,000 in there. But if you've got $2,500 in bills, then actually there's only $500 in there. But that doesn't really kind of click or resonate or it didn't with me at least. And I'd go ahead and you know spend $700 as an example and think, oh, I still got to pay my mortgage. <laughs> so that was the biggest help that I, I found doing so. Yeah, Adam, I, I think you hit that on the head. And, and so many people uh, expect to be able to operate their freelance kind of business out of one account. 
Um, and, and that is not the wisest way to do that is probably the best way for me to say it. Um, so having multiple accounts, it does sound convoluted. It is less so than it probably seems. Uh, and the, what I know kind of, again, from studying savings as much as we have, um, is that out of sight, out of mind is the best way to save. Your accountant will tell you that, um, you know, the experts on saving, if you will, will say the same. Your banker probably will say something very similar, but it's being able to segment money, put it away and then have it out of your, your line of sight, um, is the best way to keep money separated. And then on the other hand, just from a kind of prudent business, uh, perspective, being able to put money into a dedicated business account and spend money out of that account keeps that ecosystem isolated, which allows you to understand how you're earning, how you're spending, where those expenses are allocated to various clients um, or kind of operations. And then ultimately what your expenses are that reduce your tax obligation at the end of the year. Um, so what I recommend for a lot of people is a business checking and a business savings account that are separated from your personal um, and maybe even in a different bank. And I know you know, there's kind of this, uh, there's, there's an aversion to going to multiple banks. But what, what we've seen is that, again, from a separation standpoint, that's good. And then there are banks that have great individual kind of rates, and there are banks that have better business perks. Um, and, and so being able to jump between the two, especially in the digital age, is not hard to manage, um, and significantly easier than it was when I think we started getting uh, this idea that, managing multiple banks and multiple accounts is really hard. It's not so much anymore um, because of the technology we have in our hands. So I always recommend that. You know, Ace, you've touched a couple times on consulting with a CPA. Can you give some more reasons why it's so important when you're a freelancer to use a CPA versus trying to do it yourself with one of the services online? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it, it's that personalization. It's an element of somebody who understands you and your business. Um, you know, so I was, uh, I was chatting with an, an accountant the other day and she was making really good recommendations, uh, just kind of on how freelancers live and how their, their businesses, uh, operate. And she focuses on the freelance demographic. Um, so Diana over at, uh, at brass taxes is just like built this business on thinking about people who operate like us. And what she said, she gave a, a nuanced example, and I think it's applicable here to understand why that makes sense is when you're here in the States, at least when you are, um, going out to eat, if you're not having a client meal, um, or rather if you are having a client meal is probably a better way to say that if you're having a client meal, that's only a 50%, um, uh, deduction. So you can write off 50% of said meal. You can't write off the entire meal. Now, of course, if you have somebody into your office and you order food in, you can write off the whole meal. But what's important here is your tax software might see a meal and might write that off at 50%. Um, just blindly thinking that is a client meal and, and you kind of input that information. What's interesting, though, is beyond that, if you are a food critic, for instance, and go into a restaurant and have a meal, uh, you can write off that entire meal because it's categorized as research. Um, so an accountant who would know that you're a food critic and you get 100% write-off in a restaurant versus you're a freelancer just meeting with a client at lunch or at coffee and writing off 50%. Um, you know, depending on how many times you do that and how frequently that happens, those exemptions and deductions and expenses start to pile up. And if you're not taking advantage of all of those, 
you are missing out on significant savings. And so somebody who knows how you run your business and how you operate um, can help you find and maximize the most amount of deductions uh, vers- versus elsewhere where that may not happen. So certainly on tax softwares um, at times. So I, I always recommend maybe a blend of putting information in and tracking expenses on a software tool, but ultimately getting a CPA or your accountant to look that over at the end of the year. And I think that level of specialization is important too. You know, when you're dealing with somebody who works only with freelancers, they're going to know, you know, a lot of loopholes to help you out with your write-offs. No, you were, you were absolutely right. I mean, when it comes to freelancing, there are so many pieces. Um, there are so many pieces and, and specific write-offs that we can think about. You know, home office is one that comes up so often for people who work out of their house and how you write that off, how frequently you're using the space. And if it's dedicated versus uh, kind of this common shared, you know, it's your dining room table by night, but your office by day. Um, those pieces are, of course, nuanced and you can take advantage of them differently depending on how you use it. Um, there are other pieces that we don't think about. Cell phone is one that comes to mind, again, because of blended usage. Um, and then there are some kind of nominal expenses that if you're prudent on catching all of them, they'll pile up. Uh, domain and web hosting um, comes to mind. We don't think about that as an expensive thing, but it is certainly something you can write off, especially if you're paying for it month over. Um, a dedicated freelance accountant will take that into consideration and take care of you. So again, I you know, software has helped to mitigate some of the cost associated with an accountant. But what you'll find is if you find a dedicated freelance accountant, they're generally priced pretty appropriately. Um, and if you're using software to plug in to what they do at the end of the year, you can, uh, you can start reducing some of that cost pretty substantially. But chatting with them is prudent always. And I think people forget about the fact that generally what they're going to save you is going to be much more than you're paying. So don't get too scared if that number is a little bit higher than you might want to see. Oh, I, f- I fully agree. Um, you know, it, it takes money to make money is something we throw out a lot, but it takes money to save money uh, is very, very true as well. And what we don't continue on to say is that if you don't save money, it is going to cost you a hell of a lot of money to fix the problem. Um, so you end up getting into trouble with penalties at the end of the year or just trying to make up a deficit and you have to kind of forego some other things that, uh, that, had you handled savings appropriately, uh, you might have been able to take advantage of opportunities when you weren't worried about making up your savings. So in terms of talking about write-offs there, you've mentioned quite a few things that I think people wouldn't consider or realize that they could actually claim back. Now, obviously, this varies from country to country all over the world. But if you were to kind of like try to summarize, say, the top five what kind of top five examples can you think of write-offs that usually people don't realize that is uh, an expense they can claim back? Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I mentioned home office already. You know, for most uh, most freelancers, that is some element um, of doing work. And so there's a difference between home office and working from home occasionally. You know, if you have a dedicated office space, that seems obvious. Uh, but I mentioned home office. You have to think about... Um, you know, if it's an exclusive and dedicated space, if it's regular space that you work out of, um, and then if that is where you conduct most of your business activities. And so home office is always something to consider. Um, beyond that, 
your tools, your, your apps and online tools specifically. Um, so, you know, if you're thinking about Dropbox or an Evernote, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud, for instance, um, some of the tech pieces that make your business run more smoothly um, or allow you to be more efficient and effective in your work, um, you, can, you can write those off. Um, you know, beyond that, I mentioned business meals. I think that's probably one of the kind of top of mind for most people, especially if you're interacting uh, with clients in person. Um, so writing off business meals is something to keep itemized receipts of and a uh, kind of record of how frequently you did that and then who you do it with. Uh, and then beyond that, there, there are a couple that I think we probably consider less, um, but are always, always write-offs. So retirement is something we don't talk about a lot in the freelance world, but if you're considering some vehicles like a SEP IRA, so that's self-employed IRA, um, that is a, a vehicle that could be great for freelancers. Uh, solo 401ks are, are very similar, but if you are contributing to a retirement account that can be written off and, uh, there are some significant tax benefits there. Um, the last one that I'll kind of throw out in my top five, I think I'm at four, um, is education. So if you are learning or building skill sets to be better at your job, you can expense some of those uh, learning costs. You know, if you're using a Linda um, or a Treehouse as uh, a creative, if you're hopping over to Skillshare and taking some online courses, um, all of those are potential write-offs if you're prudent about keeping records and prudent about um, kind of documenting what that was for and how it moves the needle for you. So those are, those are some of the pieces. I think there are some pretty comprehensive lists floating around. It's really a matter of just educating yourself and, and a quick Google search on what can I write off as a freelancer? Uh, there are some things floating out there that you wouldn't have really considered. Yeah, I think there's some great points there. And there's so many things that you can write off. And that's where really talking to a professional can help you. Can you clarify the difference between writing stuff off and getting deductions versus underreporting or not filing your income? Because there are two very different things. So can you go into that a little bit? The big difference between expenses and underreporting um, is this. On the expense side, let's say you made $100,000 as a freelancer and spent $30,000 managing, finding clients, uh, and doing the actual work. You are now owing taxes on $100,000 less than $30,000 that you spent as expenses. So you've written down or reduced that tax obligation to only having to pay taxes on $70,000 rather than the full $100,000. So expenses are a great way to reduce the income that you are paying taxes on. Um, on the other hand, underreporting is dangerous in a lot of ways, mostly because the governing body that manages how much you owe and keeps track of whether you paid generally knows how much money you made. The, the issue with underreporting is that while you may not report, that doesn't mean your client is not reporting. Um, and it gets a tiny bit convoluted, but I, I think the simplest way to explain this is anything that your client paid to you is something that they are expensing on their own books. So they are reporting that they paid a freelancer, aka you, to the tax gods, if you will. Um, so that income has been reported as an expense somewhere already. And the IRS knows or your tax body knows that that money went to you. So whether or not you report it, 
does not mean they don't know about it. And you will end up with a bill most oftentimes, irrespective of whether you reported it or not. So, you know, reporting less to pay less in taxes doesn't actually work out the way we want it to, because we're going to end up with that bill because somebody has reported it. It just may not have been you. So, so frequently there are two or three bodies reporting income um, on your behalf. And so it's, it's a dangerous game to underreport or not report income. The better way to do that is be prudent about saving for your taxes and then prudent about keeping track, track of expenses so you can reduce how much you have to pay. And that's what we call fraud or tax evasion, correct? <laughs> that, that is a little word we like to use called illegal. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a little bit different than making a mistake or writing off too many deductions. Exactly. And, you know, it, what we find is while it is uh, certainly frowned upon to underreport, I think misreporting, um, if it's in good faith and certainly accidental, uh, most tax bodies are, are pretty diligent in being able to work with you. Uh, understanding how convoluted tax code is to begin with, and then all of the things you have going on. So the best thing to do if you catch something or miss a payment um, is to do that as quickly as possible and then get on the horn um, with the appropriate authorities because they're, they're usually pretty, uh, pretty cool in working with you if it was a, a true, genuine mistake. So Ace, for people listening, obviously Fiverr is a global marketplace with sellers all over the world. Can you kind of give us a brief insight into how the kind of tax codes vary internationally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's it's a pretty straightforward answer, actually. The U.S. has the most complicated and convoluted tax code in the world, and everybody else kind of has their stuff figured out in simplifying tax code. Um, so there, uh, in the U.K., for instance, are a couple tax codes that you can take, and you get to pick one. Um, whereas in the States, all sorts of income coming in, um, ends up getting taxed differently and you have to manage all of that at the same time. Um, so, uh, across the board, it's, it's really, if you're in the States, um, have fun. And if you're not, it's a, a pretty straightforward, uh, path to taxes or as straightforward as taxes can be. Um, but that's the short on it. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're, what I will say from kind of a political perspective is that we are simplifying tax code across the globe uh, as we start to look at like this global shift to a gig or 1099 or freelance economy. So I expect to see some significant changes um, domestically here in the States and abroad as we continue to see growth of people doing freelance work, which is really exciting. That's something that I, I talk about and think about a fair amount. So. That's an exciting trend and shift, and I, I think that'll get a little simpler for us here in the freelance world. You know, I, we, we think about the, the gig economy um, a fair amount, and I think it just what's really cool for me and being able to talk to you guys um, is like how prevalent Fiverr as a company is in this overarching global trend of like stitching together careers. And so I think it's like a future of work piece. Um, and that's, I, I kind of alluded to that in talking about the political implications of taxes, but the, the future of work and really like how we're all able to participate in being sellers or freelancing and picking up gigs, um, that piece is awesome. And I think if we can automate and get some more software out there, really, this is why we do what we do here at Painless. If there are more tools and better information about how we can exist in this world, I think we're all better off for it. And so... Um, it's really just a nod to all of the sellers for participating in 
uh, what is a global trend that I expect to see continue to grow. So, Ace, is there a kind of tipping point? And now we touched upon this earlier when we talked about being a freelancer and the certain tax codes and things you have to register for, etc. Is there a certain tipping point where maybe you earn X amount more than you actually need or something else where it's better for you to decide rather than be registered as a freelancer, you would set up your own company and register yourself as an employee? Is there a kind of balance or tipping point for that? Um, not so much a tipping point. I think those are maybe like two different elements. Um, so I, I always recommend, you know, to any freelancer, even new off the bat, it's, I think maybe the tipping point is whether you expect to do it for any significant period of time, say more than a year, it would make sense to, to register and get some, some liability and protection around you. Um, so having a business entity is more a legal structure so you don't end up in legal trouble rather than an accounting um, structure necessarily. And it, again, that gets nuanced. Um, here in the States, at least, having an LLC, for instance, you get taxed the same. Um, so it's a pass-through entity in the sense that anything you earn, you get taxed on as an individual. Now, if you set up a more robust corporate structure, getting into kind of the S-corp territory and end up hiring yourself, um, that could make sense. But you know, that's an accountant-specific question. What I will say is if you're just freelancing and that's what you want to do, um, usually your most basic legal structure um, will work. Whereas if you start wanting to do some funky things, not illegal or below board necessarily, but if you want to get creative in your accounting, sure, having a more robust uh, legal structure makes sense. Uh, but that will come with a heftier bill from whatever accountant you work with as well. So I think that's a case by basis. But the, the bottom line is, if you're thinking about being in freelancing for anything longer than you know, a quick one-off or two project, I always recommend at least considering some legal entity and some protection because that's, that's prudent. Uh, if, if not only from the legal standpoint, it helps on the accounting side as well. I think the, the limited liability element of, you know, becoming a company is, is very important, especially if you're kind of increasing the clients you work with or you're dealing with more money and there's more chance of a risk or an error. But to kind of give you an example, um, coming into my question originally, basically in the UK, I could be a self-employed person or I could be a limited company and hiring me. Now, the difference in that is, is as a self-employed person, I'm taxed on everything that I earn because it's all my income. So let's say I earn $100,000 as an example. Now, I don't need $100,000 to live on. I don't need a wage that high or need to pay myself that high, but I'd be getting taxed the full amount on that. However, in that scenario in the UK, if I'm there thinking, well, actually, I only need 40. If I had a limited company and I hired myself, I'd have to pay the tax on my $40,000 salary and I'd still pay tax on those $60,000 but there'd be a rebate or a, um, a kind of lower rate for it being kept in the company. So mm. legally, it would be tied up and I couldn't access it as personal funds. But at the same time, if I'm kind of in the situation where I'm thinking, well, I don't actually need this money, you know, or it's I don't need it to pay myself. It can stay in the company. I want to build the company. In that scenario, would you say there's a benefit to, to turn it into the company? And obviously, that might be a UK specific question. 
Yeah, it you know it functions. It is it is UK specific in that sense. It functions similarly in uh, in the states here, but um, I don't I don't know that I could give you a hard answer that would be helpful for anybody um, on when that kind of structure uh, or when that that tipping point is. To be honest, I think anyone who's there thinking I've got more money than I need is just happy anyway. So <laughs> they, they don't really mind, right? Yeah, no. I yeah, mean, good so problem to have. <laughs> it is. It, it, what I what I would say is that as you start creeping up to kind of that price point, I know kind of a hundred k was an arbitrary number, but that generally seems to be where we see people um, just having an accountant handle that entirely. So as you creep into six figures, um, you know, rather than having to figure it out yourself, you're paying somebody to know the answer there. For anyone listening to this podcast at the moment and they're wondering what their next step should be or how they should get started on what they want to do in regards to their taxes, your advice, Ace, then is to basically find your nearest CPA or find your nearest accountant or anyone else certified to help you. I mean, a lot of them have free consultations nowadays for their initial meeting and kind of go from there and see the options available to you. Absolutely. You know, we talked a bit about freelance focused accountants. Um, I always recommend talking to one of them. They know some of the nuances and they understand that, you know, accountants can be pricey at times. So they've adjusted their rates accordingly and generally are happy to spend uh, a couple minutes with you chatting through your specific situation and how they might be able to plug in. So always a recommendation, always talk to a CPA um, to understand what you should be thinking about. And then uh, they'll help you get back to work. Thanks, Ace. That's all the time we have for today. Ace is joining us again from Painless1099. You can find them at painless1099.com. And as we've mentioned numerous times in this episode, consult a CPA. The information in this podcast is not intended, nor should it be used as a substitute for tax, audit, accounting, investing, consulting, or other professional advice. Seek the advice directly from that professional, that CPA, before making any decisions or taking any action on accounting tax, financial, and consulting-related matters and issues. Message brought to you by the legal team. Our jingle today was made by me, Custom Drum Loops, and as always, we're edited by Dancha. See you next week. Fibercast. Fibercast.